Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello, and welcome back to a Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and it's Thursday evening, so you know that we're talking college football during this off season. Sixty lists. Maybe a little bit less. I don't know. I, I lose track of how many days. It's not that long. It's, it's the point until college football is back. And to talk all things college football, as we do every Thursday night on this very podcast, Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. Every day is a Thursday around here in the college football world. Mm. You push back a lot on my Maction preference this week. I, I'm going to push it next week. We're doing Maction. Whether, like, I'll even let you pick which Maction game you want to revisit for our Throwback Thursday pod next week. But um, you, were, you were very anti-Northern Illinois uh, Ball State this week. Yeah, you know, I'm just if if I'm going back, you know, in the in the throwback Thursday, if you will, we're going back in the time machine. I want to go back and watch a game that I remember watching. You know, I would I probably wasn't even watching Northern Illinois Ball State. Were you watching that? Who was there? Any big time players? Was that the uh, was that the Jordan Lynch era? Hmm, that might have been Jordan Lynch. It's a good question. I'm not sure who was the tailback. What year? What year was the year it? that they had the tailback? Who was good? Oh, uh, Garrett Wolf. Yes. Okay, and then the burner uh, Turner went to Northern Illinois as well, but that was uh, that was much older than that game. What what game? What year were you looking at? Like it was like twenty two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Okay. Also, we are uh, we are fifty eight days away from college football mm. to be exact. So get amped. I'm jacked about it. Are you jacked? As as, uh, as Dan Quinn would say, we don't speak about Dan Quinn anymore. That's the that's a Dallas Cowboys problem now. He was a quality coach, all right. Was he? He was. I mean, they almost won a Super Bowl. Like they should have won, won a Super Bowl. Did you see that interview with Shanahan talking about uh, no. the Super Bowl? Oh man, it was really good. You should check it out. Like him and Sean McVay. He's just oh, and this on other the, guy, the Flying Coach podcast. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, and he's uh, just kind of talking about going through those plays uh, at the end of that Super Bowl. It was pretty interesting. Hard pass. Don't want to revisit that. Don't want to. Don't want to do that to myself. I don't want to ruin a. a that's true. Game. I'm not that. I'm not a huge Falcons fan. So mm-hmm. that's. Yeah, well, I was like able Detroit to. Lions guy. But it's time for you to revisit because See, Stafford left. That's true, but I don't want to be a Rams fan because the Rams. I don't know. It's L.A. But I feel like at the end of the day, once, once, uh, once the season actually gets started. Like, I'll be rooting for Stafford. So, it's like, I'll just end up being a Rams fan. It, it kind of sucked because I was kind of embracing the Lions thing. And they had DeAndre Swift, too. So, it was like kind of a little Georgia action up in uh, in Detroit. But, but no, I feel like quarterbacks are just measured on team success. And Stafford, as the only Georgia quarterback, it's like I, I care more about what Georgia players do in the NFL than any particular NFL team, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And my fantasy squad. That's that. Those are my allegiances. But I was still a little heartbroken for the Falcons. I was like, "Damn, why can't we have any? Why can't we have anything nice down here?" At least we have the Braves. That everything's going swimmingly at the moment. Yeah, seriously, the Braves. We won't talk about the Braves right now. Are you a snicker guy? You're. You definitely seem like a fire snicker guy. 
Oh, I thought you said sneaker guy. And I was like, why do I seem like a sneaker guy to you? No, you definitely seem like a fire snicker, Brian no, Snicker. No, I'm just a... I'm a firm believer that there's really no reason for managers anymore in Major League Baseball. There's just... There's no point. Like, just have the GM text the player. Like, <laughs> All right, here's, like here's, here's what I prefer. Like, they call in the shift... Like just have the GM on the like in the dugout, just hanging out. He's just up in the he's just up in the press box, just aligning the defense. Right, like that's what I would rather him just have a a a mic up for all these guys or something like that. I I I just don't think there's a point. I I don't understand. All they do is. But what if something happens, man? They need to jump in there. That's why they got the uniform on. GM GM can't wear the uniform. GMs would wear it better than most. (laughs) I I hate the manager uniform so much. It's It's so weird. Ridiculous thing. I'm sure it made sense in like 1920 when they would like jump in and play or something. Uh, it looks I'm bad. sure that happened back in the day. Yeah, uh, when I uh, just it, it's it's silly. I will say they're getting way too comfortable in the NBA. Like these little quarter zips and the the jumpsuits they're wearing. I'm no, not, I like it. You don't like the quarter zips? You want no. your you want your basketball coach in a in a suit? Yeah, I want suit and tie. Do Act you? Like been there. Oh no, man! I love it. I love the athleisure wear. No, I like it too, personally. I don't like my my basketball coach wearing. But it's like what? Uh, fair enough. If it's like a football coach on the sideline, though, it's you're rocking like some khakis and like yeah, a, 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 the Nike athletic, in, yeah, athletic shirt, yeah, visor. You know, like uh, you don't like your you don't like your basketball coaches being that casual, huh? No, I don't. I think all managers should be wearing suits and ties. Like they, they wear a sweater if it's cold, but uh, you're not an athlete anymore. You're not an athlete. It's over. Like you're. I don't mind it. I don't mind it, especially considering like some of these dudes just sweat their asses off in like the the nice suit. It looks mm-hmm. looks awful. Bruce so it's like at least goes through multiple suits. Sean Miller, that iconic image of his his. Suit. yeah exactly it's like probably because you shouldn't be wearing a, a suit in this setting you're like running around like it's athletic like, i don't know i don't i don't mind it mm. we disagree matt green um are like how are the decula the locals how are they getting ramped up for high school football season because there's probably like 50 or 40 something days before decula kicks off their season are they in the corky kel this year i know part is you know, there's always a buzz about <laughs> around uh, Falcon Country, so uh, they uh, they think these boys they might uh, they might have what it takes this year. Uh, how much merch have you gotten? Like, are you ready? Do you have enough I merch got, for you? I got no that? merch, no, no merch, to, no merch yet. Can you at least take the lady to a game this fall? Like, you you wouldn't let her go. She wants to get involved in the community. She wants to have some fun. You can bring the dogs, hang out on the side. That's true. We might, have to, we might have to do that. I don't think you can bring dogs to a high school football game, though. Can you not? I feel like I remember dogs. Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe I'm just adding that in because it's been a crazy amount of time since you and I were in high school, Matt. Do you think about that? That it's now been like, I think it's 12 for me now. I think my high school reunion would have been 12 in May. Yeah, it's uh, high school is a long time ago. It doesn't feel that long ago, but uh, it doesn't. It's, it's a long time ago. A um, couple quick notes before we get into our main event on tonight's show um actually what would you rather do would you rather do the over-unders as people can see by the title of this episode of which ones we think are the most appetizing per vegas um or would you rather start with uh our throwback thursday which is the 2000 
uh, four game between Auburn and LSU. Let's uh, let's save that. Let's save that for the main event. A little cherry on top. That'll be the that'll be the the dessert. The, the Auburn LSU. Okay. Um, but a couple quick notes. Your old friend Demetrius Robertson for his nineteenth year of eligibility <laughs> has transferred to Auburn. Um, kind of a surprise here, right? Um, I, I, not necessarily. I feel like he, uh, he's a guy who seems like he can, he should be at an SEC school. He just, you know, was probably sixth or seventh on Georgia's depth chart. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy to think about how he was a five-star coming out. Same year as Miko Hardman. Miko Hardman's about to be in his third year in the NFL. This guy's still in college. So it's, uh, it's crazy. If he can put it all together, I mean, he's clearly got speed. He just doesn't seem like. But that's good for Auburn. Get the yeah. Anthony Schwartz role. Fill it. He just left. Fill the Anthony Schwartz role. Maybe. We'll I think see. Anthony Schwartz. I, I'm personally not a high on Anthony Schwartz. I think Anthony Schwartz was way, way better than Demetrius Robertson. Yeah, I think so. Schwartz was just a. I feel like he should have had a better college career. I feel like he should have done more um, in that guest. Yeah, I feel like he's just a. It's one thing like to have the straight line speed, but you have to you have to have the football speed too, you know. Not that he's not fast on the field, but he doesn't make those like real like explosive like elusive plays. He he seems like he just makes those plays where just ran straight by past somebody, you know. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's fair. Um, I got into a beef. You remember? I got into a beef Twitter beef with Anthony Schwartz. <laughs> Uh, a few months ago do you remember that no you know i didn't oh man it was like some one of these college football instagram accounts like quote tweeted like i said something because he it was georgia the country lost like some game in in heartbreaking fashion or something Mm -hmm. and uh he like tweeted like another l for georgia you know Mm-hmm. And then I tweet at this guy like, "How many L's did you ever give Georgia?" You know what I mean? <laughs> something like that, because I don't think he ever beat Georgia. But um, and then he said something about like you know 1980 or you know some kind of reference to like Georgia winning a championship years ago. And then everyone acted like he clowned me, and I'm just like, "How can you make? How can you uh, clown a, a team that you lose to?" You know, I don't know, but. But Wait, yeah, was he I not remember. on the team? Was he not on the Murray? Was he not a freshman then? Was he not on the picks? Uh, the Aaron Murray? Yeah, was he no, not? No, Anthony Schwartz was on this year's team. So no, he no, was no, like, I'm saying, that, was he not a freshman then? I guess not. I guess No, that, that was like seven years ago. That's seven now? Good yeah, good. so he would have been, what, 2020, 2019, 18. Yeah. So he may have been on the 2017. I don't know. Was he a, was he a senior? Or he, was he had a to be there the carry on year. He had to be. That's what I'm thinking he, of. He was there okay, the carry so, on year. So he went like one in four against Georgia. Then if he was there for th- yes. for four years, yeah. So yeah, but what? But yeah, keep, well, back to the back to the topic at hand. Mm-hmm. Mm. My my Twitter beefs aside. Well, um, five star defensive end choosing Bama over clemson uh this is a weird pick for me because i think when you think of alabama like if you're a five-star offensive lineman quarterback receiver running back defensive back linebacker it all makes sense i'm like absolutely but if you're an edge guy or you're a defensive line guy there's absolutely no reason to choose bama over clemson clemson just like they've been doing this since Gaines adams like I, I don't know why you're like Cleveland Farrell is going like in the top five of the draft. What, what are you doing? 
Why I mean, Alabama's Alabama has been producing plenty of defensive linemen, outside linebackers in the first round too, though. Like Alabama's, no, give they've me just one. been producing Who? every. Who lately? I mean, yeah, Jonathan Allen was inside was one. Yeah. I mean, Quinnen Williams is more of a defensive tackle. Yeah. Um, shoot, off the I'm top of my Rashawn, Rashawn Evans. I think he was like a second round pick, but I'm saying edge. They're producing inside guys. Like they, they'll always have the Terrence Rashawn Evans is the edge guy. Yeah, but he's not elite. He's not an elite guy. I mean, he's a he's balling for the Titans, right? He's, he's like not. a. But I'm just saying, like Alabama produces every position, so I'm like never gonna criticize it. I don't know. I just feel like Clemson, top player in Alabama like, for going to Alabama either. No, I trust Brent Venables more. I'm just like, no, nah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go get compile some sacks and just play this incredibly stacked defensive line in a place where they're just putting out top five defensive line guys over and over again. I, I don't know. I feel like that's a, a clear advantage Clemson has over Bama. I, I was surprised by it. I mean, yeah, that's fair. They might have an advantage there, but it's like I don't think anyone's ever making a bad career decision going to Alabama unless the Alabama well, is just like what, crazy what loaded at their position. What, what, what are the Crimson Tide up to? What, what, have, they, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> oh, man. I cannot. They haven't won a game, game in months. There are so many. Remember this guy? Like the LSU Nick Saban staff, you have Dooley over there. Will Muschamp was losing his shit at uh, one of the linebackers for – LSU like that that staff like uh, yeah a Jimbo Kirby too yeah it that is a wild staff uh, but we'll get to that we'll get to that um but yeah that's all the news and notes a lot of NIL stuff UNC players not in on the 12 team playoff more Arch Manning obsessions for somebody who is not going to commit for another year and a half um but yeah uh, we're gonna get into our preview soon which I'm very, very excited about. Have you gotten your Phil Steele magazine yet, Matt? Dude, I haven't. I'm, uh, I'm disappointed. Are you just not going to Publix? What are I'm you disappointed with my local Kroger. I was oh. actually going to say that. I, um, it, I was, I was actually on that aisle, and I was like, oh, nice. I totally mean to pick up a Phil Steele magazine, and uh, it was not, not to be found. I was uh, pretty disappointed. They had other ones, you know. I'm not going to shout out any brands, talk shit, but uh, I was like, you know. College football Bible isn't here. I'll uh, I'll hold out. I'll I'll get it. I'll get it when I get it. I will say I get that in Athlon. Athlon. The folks at Athlon do a great job as well. Okay. I thought about picking up Athlon, but I was Athlon's like, good. They're they're good. They're both. They both do solid work, and they got a good podcast. So listen to the Athlon Sports Podcast if you don't already. Um. Well, let's get into what our main event of this off season Thursday night edition of this program is, Matt. Um, the over unders we're using. B S I N. We know it. It's that gambling site that you see on Twitter all the time. And they have the over-unders for all the teams across college football. I wanted to do kind of like a back and forth of which wins over and under seem the most appetizing to you where you're like, I, I would bet the over or they're way too low on this one, but I, uh, I leave the floor to you. What, uh, where do you want to start? So, there's a few of these that I was looking at. Some of these are some really tough numbers. So, you got Alabama and Clemson up at 11.5. The Clemson, you know, that really just comes down to if you think they're going to beat Georgia or not, I guess, right? It's either an undefeated season or it's a one-loss season. I tend to I tend to go under on Clemson. I'm not super confident on it. But with Alabama, I just feel like this doesn't feel like an, an undefeated Alabama season, right? 
it feels like they they could still win the national championship, but it seems like they're gonna kind of this is gonna be kind of more of a growing pains kind of team. Like I don't I don't see them just dominating everybody like they do when they have some some of the senior leadership they've had and in the last they can couple only go years. down they had the best offense maybe in college football history last year like, like it's absurd <laughs> like uh, replacing a star uh, just like a transcendent starting quarterback and then having the best offense ever and then replacing the starting quarterback again it's just obviously it's alabama like they just they're a powerhouse and they're just a well-oiled machine but it just doesn't seem like a year that they're gonna go undefeated like i can't pick a loss necessarily on their schedule like I wouldn't say a and going to beat them. I wouldn't say Florida's going to beat them. I wouldn't say Miami or something's going to beat them, LSU. But it just doesn't feel like a year where they go undefeated. You know what I mean? It just it feels like they might lose a game they shouldn't early and then probably dominate the second half of the year, something like that. So Alabama and Clemson, I'm, bo- I'm going under on both of them. Oh, Clemson, I'm going over. I, I would almost lock in Clemson. I think the ACC is down this year. Um, I think people but, are buying way too much into the UNC stuff. I think Florida State's on the rise. I think people, I don't know. I, I but at 11 and a half, at 11 and a half, not on the schedule anymore either. At 11 and a half, the ACC doesn't even matter though, right? It's really undefeated or bust. So you, uh, you think they're definitely beating Georgia? I would say they're the favorites over Georgia, wouldn't you? Even as a Georgia fan, would you would you say that like it should be considered that it not an upset, but it would be a surprise if Georgia beat Clemson out of the gate? I mean, it might surprise more like mainstream sports fans, but just because what Clemson has been in recent years. But I think Georgia should be the favorite team, to be honest. Like I think Georgia just got more proven. Like I mean, it's really I guess the quarterback more than anything else. With Clem- with uh, Clemson, obviously, DJ looked great really? in the couple games. Yeah, and the couple games he played last year. But uh, I don't know. I I think I'm just very confident in what Georgia's going to be defensively next year. And with JT Daniels, I feel like the sky's the limit. But that's why I felt like Georgia at ten and a half. Like I would bet my freaking house on Georgia being over ten and a half. Like I just I don't see I any. Yeah. I don't see any way that Georgia has a 10 and two regular season. Like maybe they lose to Clemson and run the table or they just, I was gonna say it's possible if you lose Clemson and Florida or Clemson it's definitely possible or Florida Auburn, but I feel like Florida is like the only one like Auburn. Yeah, maybe, but they're in a first year head coach. Like, like Florida seems like the, it, it only seems like two games on Georgia's schedule. They could even possibly theoretically lose, you know? So I would almost bet everything that Georgia is going to, is going to uh, be over 10 and a half. And the other one like that I had was, was uh, just going way down at LSU at eight and a half. Mm. Like I'm staying away from LSU. I don't, I feel like I would hammer LSU at eight and a half. Like obviously like there's over or under over. Oh, like, I'm saying like eight and a half, like a nine and three season for LSU. Isn't a good season. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think he's getting fired. If you win less than eight games. Well, that's probably true, and he could get fired at nine nine wins for all we know, if yeah. with all the other shit that's going on with LSU. But like at home, like this year they have it's Auburn, Florida, and A and M are all at home. Like Ole Miss is obviously like a wild card in, in the West this year, and Alabama are both on the road. But like Auburn hasn't beaten them at an LSU since like the '90s or something. So I just I feel like LSU. I think at the bare minimum. 
I mean, I guess not the bare minimum. I could see them going eight and four, I guess, but I think they, I don't, ah, I don't know. I'm going back and forth here, but I just don't see them going any worse than nine and three. Mm. Like A and M, I'm just I'm not sold on A and M personally. Like I just don't know. Like I think A and M's going to be a good team. That yeah. was a really tough one for me. What did you have A and M at nine and a half? I almost couldn't even pick that. Well, if you're picking over on A and M nine and a half, you're thinking they're going to win the West. That's why I don't think they're going to win the I West. I would hit, I would but... take the under on A and M. I just would. I'm terrified of the the West. The West is just. That's why I'm so much safer on Georgia than I am on any team in the West. It's just that like, I think the West doesn't even have a bad team in it. Like they're all the worst average. Like there is, like the you can't take Arkansas. Yeah, I would say I'm Miss. sleeping on. Yeah. I, I'm still I'm sleeping on Mississippi State way more than you are. I feel you're State's higher. Be good. Like yeah. Mike Leach is going to be good. Like they are going bowling this year. Like that is going to be a good team. Will Rogers is legit. So you think a and M? So you if you would take the under on a and M nine and a half? I would take the under on a and M. Okay, so what would you do on LSU eight and a half under? I think there's gonna be a lot mm. of seven and five, six and six in the West. Okay. So I didn't even see. I don't know if they even had Auburn. And did you see any of those other? One one thing I thought was interesting you know looking at these on? UCF. You're one of Malzahn transitioning from the hypo offense to Malzahn. No, bang like Gabriel. Sell all your Gabriel stock. Like that dude playing in hypo's Baylor raid to Gus Malzahn and seeing what Gus Malzahn does with these older quarterbacks. No, 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 no. I will sell, sell, sell some UCF stock. Who I will buy stock on. That's though, a valid in point. That nine, ten range. Oh, but Wisconsin nine and a half pound the over. Wisconsin's gonna be good, and they're in a the weaker division. They're going to avoid some big-time matchups like, I think, Wisconsin. I, I like. There's not many stable programs like Wisconsin, and Wisconsin feels extremely 10-2 to me. Yeah, I can get with that. I, uh, I want to go back to your UCF. I think you're, uh, you're spot on there, just looking at their schedule. Like Boise State and Louisville out of conference, and that's not even including the AAC where they could, they could lose to Cincinnati – I would say Mem- would Memphis, SMU. Yeah, like I would assume you'd lose to Cincinnati. So, yeah, that looks like at least three wins, uh, three losses on that schedule. Yeah, I, I would, I would go nowhere near that. Arizona State, I would go nowhere near nine. I would pound the under with all. That's stuff. what I was about to ask you. You're, you're our Pac-12 expert here. We got all four of those teams in the Pac-12 at nine. The Arizona State, USC, Oregon, and Washington. Well, and Washington, I feel like- you can go ahead and lock it in. <laughs> that's just a blue blood program right there i would just be scared of oregon with their quarterback situation tyler shuck left for uh texas tech anthony brown or thompson's commander center that's just some real question marks there um recruiting well so it's not like they're gonna be bad or anything i just i don't know i think i would go new i would pound I, I would probably say of the four that i'm most confident in i would in all honesty say usc going over nine I was thinking USC as well, and maybe Oregon, but you know I'm always uh, skeptical of the Ducks. Mm-hmm. But um, one, one I thought was interesting is that Notre Dame at nine. I just feel like you see Notre Dame at nine, and it's like oh, oh Notre Dame's gonna under. win. I was I was thinking the same, or that's what I was starting to say. I you see Notre Dame at nine, I was like oh they're gonna win more than nine games, but this is a low key like super tough schedule, like. I, I don't know how good FSU is going to be this year, but you got Wisconsin, 
that's like in in Green Bay or something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Cincinnati, USC, North Carolina, like it's a lot there of could there could be three or four losses on that schedule. I would uh, so yeah, I would also take the under when it comes to Notre Dame. I think but, this is going to be a drop back year for Notre Dame. I think this is a rebuilding year. Yeah, I, I would agree. But uh, what about your Iowa State Cyclones at nine and a half? Nowhere near it. No, thank you. Terrifying. Oh. Terrifying. Okay, see, I thought you were definitely going to be over that. I, I want them to do it naturally. I don't want to be the one betting on Iowa State. I want to. I, I don't want to go anywhere near it. I don't want to ruin the fun there. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the under. I'll be honest. Like, just looking at their schedule, everything they got coming back, like, Oklahoma they have in Norman. But the Big 12 is just so unpredictable. Like, I think they have Iowa, Oklahoma State, and Texas all at home. But I don't know. I just I feel like Iowa State just seems like a nine and three team. Like it seems like their good years are a nine and three. So I don't know. I'm I'm just not sold on them. Who is the degenerate that's gambling taking the uh, taking the over on Army for eight wins? Oh man, that's that's probably a good bet. The money is on them winning more than eight games. Who's the who's the the absolute college football sicko that's betting on Army's uh, season this fall? That's a good question. I was telling uh, Tori before he came on the show. I was like, "Babe, we can if we can find Georgia at ten and a half. <laughs> so what, we we should bet our house on that. I'm telling you, there it's a lock." It's a lock. You know what you should do? You should Famous last words. In. You should put some serious, not like mortgage-worthy stuff, but you should put some some hefty sum in there and, and say like, hey, I'm going to do this, and if I hit it, we're going on vacation wherever you want to go. I did put a little something on Georgia uh, to win the national championship when I was out in Vegas. Did you? Yeah. How much did you A little something-something. I just put like 50 bucks on it. So if you win, what is it? Like, what is what are the odds right now for them? I, I got it at ten to one, so it'd okay. be like five hundred bucks. Ooh, that's that's not bad. That'd be real solid. I now I'm looking back, I was like, I should have put like two hundred on it or something, just uh, just to have a, a, a big time payout. But yeah. you know, you lose that money if you don't win. So I don't hate that. I don't hate gambling. That. Um, Marshall? ten to one. I was like, that's a pretty solid. Those are those are good odds. I, I like those. I, I like those odds for Georgia. Um, if there's a not Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma favorite, I would, I mean, I, I think that's, there's some really good value there. Um, Marshall at seven and a half. Charles Huff in there, the Alabama running backs coach. He's recruiting pretty well. I think Marshall like fell apart down the stretch weirdly. They were undefeated for the majority of the season, if you recall. Like we were we were very pro Marshall on this podcast. I was we watching. Were, all the we tape. were a pro Marshall podcast. So I'm gonna pound the over there. Give me the over on Marshall seven and a half. I like it. Where it gets feisty though. Where it gets I love the middle the middle pack. That means like where Vegas has no idea what to do with this. It's like Auburn at seven. They have no idea what to do with Auburn yeah seriously like i think seven and five it seems like a very predictable uh very likely outcome for auburn this year but I but it's going to eight and figures four it out. Like nine and three yeah like it's easy to see a ten and two nine and three season for them if bo Nix figures it out with harson also kentucky mm. at Pound the seven, seven. I, I would say over i think they're gonna get i think seven. so and in, in a really weak east like mm. I, like they might still be you know second to to georgia and florida or third to georgia and florida but they do have auburn on the road or wait that was i'm looking at last year's schedule my <laughs> my bad 
But uh, in the West, they have LSU and who's it? Mississippi State. They play every year. So yeah, they do have LSU from the West. But I mean, that's what three or four losses we named. Like that's still over seven wins. So I think I like Kentucky over seven. Can I give you my my lock 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 lock? If I I had to bet my mortgage, like your Georgia thing, if I had ten and a half, <laughs> do you know what mine is? What would you guess? If, they're in the seven win range right is now. Is it going to be the Missouri Tigers? It's not. <laughs> okay. you, can, you can have your Connor Bazlack stack uh, stock, excuse me. And also, uh, you know what? They're gonna be number one for taking the Collins Hill kid from Tennessee. Oh Sam, yeah, that's what's right. his name? Sam Horn. Horn, yeah. Didn't he wear number twenty one or something? In yeah, he did. That's that annoyed me. <laughs> I'll um, be honest, not to be a get off my lawn kind of guy. I'm. I don't think I like the NFL numbers man like the single digits and stuff like you'll get used to it i don't know it was something cool about the college game you could do that but i don't know what does that even mean you like it in college but you're not gonna like it in the nfl why do you it's care? like college in high school it's like you do whatever you want but the pros it's like professional like you rock your you rock the number you gotta you gotta wear like i don't know there were definitely underutilized numbers like only the kickers and like quarterbacks were in single digits like i don't know i do understand it Especially like Chicago Bears having like eight numbers retired and stuff, but um, oh, I don't, know. don't get me started on the get off my lawn about retired numbers. That that will never not drive me up the wall. I could rant about that and the silliness of that and statues for sports figures, especially when they're still alive. I could I could spend hours in this podcast. Reading so you're a, you're being anti-retiring numbers. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Just let them wear it and then like represent them. Be like, hey, this was my idol growing up. I would like love to represent what they represented back in the day. I'm going to rock the number and do my best to live up to it. Not put it in the the rafters and like somebody who can't use that number 30 years after. Like what? It's a number. You're a great player for us. No one will ever wear this number again. Yeah, it's silly. I, I think it's extremely silly and not fair to the younger guys. It's like, I wasn't even born when he was good. Why can't I wear this number that I wore in high school and college? Makes no sense. Yeah, yeah I agree. And I'm a big fan of uh, how soccer does the numbers, like almost like positions, you know? Like mm. traditionally, that's how they do it. You know, the number nine is the striker and everything. And the number 10 is like the attacking midfielder, kind of captain of the team or whatever. Mm. Like, I feel like I love that, how it's like a role, like the... The, the defenders are usually like number two through five. The the goalie's number one. Like I, I like that. There's some order to it. I don't I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, but I feel like I got I got you, you off on a tangent. <laughs> you didn't guess what my number was. Like, oh yeah, my yes. Team was for you. Oh, uh, one of these teams in the set. Ole Miss. No, they're seven. Okay, no. I, I I think I would take the over on Ole Miss right now, but. Um, I'm not confident about it. Anyway, uh, no, not them. Okay, well, who's your team? UCLA at seven. Um, they're bringing back their entire offensive line, bringing back guys all over the place. Remember how they were the youngest team in college football two years ago when Chip Kelly took over? Like, they just had freshmen mm-hmm. everywhere, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson had only played one year of high school football before he became a quarterback at a Power 5 school and was thrown into everything, and he, he does his own he does his own stuff. He runs around. He's fun to watch. He's one of the most fun college quarterbacks to watch. I enjoy UCLA all the time. And as a Pac-12 after dark Stan, um, he's an absolute delight. Should have beat USC. They they lost like four games by like less than 10 points or something like that last year. Like their losses were all extremely close, especially that USC game, which I would highly encourage you to check back out. It was really good. Um, but Chip Kelly's got something brewing there. And I think 
I, I, I would the Pac-12 is open for them. The Pac-12 South is absolutely open for them to take advantage. So I would I would lock it in right now. We are on July 8th, 2021. Um, for the record, you can revisit December, Matt. But uh, UCLA will win over seven games. Like absolute no question, they're winning over seven games. Lock it in. What about um, Penn State at nine? I got. I'm going over on Penn State. They go. They go at Wisconsin and at Ohio State this year. But I think Auburn, Michigan, Indiana, all those like those are probably their three toughest home games. I think those are all winnable games. As you know, they did beat Indiana last year, even though the scoreboard didn't say it. But I think Auburn in Happy Valley. I feel like that's going to be a win for Penn State. And I just. I think uh, I think a ten and two season is very possible for Penn State. For Penn State, what did I say? Yeah, I think it it just depends on how I feel about Clifford. I think you're right that they're a prime bounce back candidate. Like it would not be surprised if it was Penn State or Wisconsin that locked in that ten ten number, but I I believe in Wisconsin. I think a little bit more than I do Penn State, but I'm okay with either. Um, on the lower end, we go down the six wins, six and a half, like. This is like Tennessee at six. I would go nowhere near because six and six sounds right to me for them. Um, Arkansas is that what is at, that what Tennessee fans are expecting? Yeah, like six, six and six. And yeah. six just go. Or just year one just doesn't even matter. Whatever the win loss record, year one. You're just I think year two. the ones that are interesting, like the below five hundred teams, that I think is the most appetizing. Mississippi State at five and a half. Just go ahead and lock that one in. They're winning more than five games, I think. Um, Colorado at four and a half is wild to me, but maybe they're going to be a lot worse than I'm than I'm expecting there. Uh, what about your rival, the 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 arch nemesis down there in Atlanta, four and a half for Georgia Tech? I was looking at that Georgia Tech at four and a half and Florida State at five and a half seems seems weird to me. Like I don't know, I don't feel like Georgia Tech is should be as good as Florida state, right? Like to have them almost, I mean, maybe I'm a little higher than maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself on Florida state. Maybe they're still not that good this year, but I feel like I like, I tend to like Florida state going over the five and a half and then Georgia tech, they got to go over four and a half, right? Like five and seven in year three. Like it, that's, that's gotta be the bare minimum. I, I, I would assume they're, they're trying to make a bowl game this year, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's a weird one. I, I don't pretend to have a good read on them right now. Um, but I could see either way. I think they're good. They're, they have more talent. Their schedule is ridiculous. I think they, don't they have the hardest schedule in football this year? Well, they have Clemson and Georgia, so that's yeah. not a good start. That's not a good start right there. And then you got North Carolina. They have Notre Dame too, right? And Miami. Oh, yeah, they do go at Notre Dame. The week before Georgia, they go <laughs> at Notre Dame. So that's, a, that's definitely a tough schedule right there. Can I lock in another one? And then they you? got your your Northern Illinois Huskies there to open up the season. That's not action. a guaranteed win. Oh, and they also got the uh, the Owls of Kennesaw State, a little in-state rivalry week in the second uh, week oh, of the I season. Oh, I love that. Yeah, playing Kennesaw State. Is Georgia playing but, uh, Georgia State or Georgia Southern? Um, not this year, I don't believe. Um, I got one for you. Kansas, they're looking at one per Vegas. Uh, you can, 
I might. Are you a, serious? I might put a thousand on Kansas winning more than one game. They gotta I, win two games. Lance like, Leopold is going to win two games. Okay, so here's the schedule: South Dakota at home. There's your one. You broke even there. There's the one. Are you? They telling have to me win one game. They can't go to Duke. Beat Duke. Duke's awful. Like I mean, Duke. That's that's probably a team that'll beat them though, right? Who? Duke or Kansas? I'm saying Duke. No, right? Duke stinks. Like what Duke can Lance is a Leopold do in one year? One of the worst program. Like they are in horrible shambles. Like it is bad in Duke country right now. That roster stinks. Uh, we are talking about Kansas though. Kansas. Are you telling me? You telling me they can't take down the Texas Tech Red Raiders at home? <laughs> I would not, I wouldn't bet on it. But Red Raiders knows? have not had a winning record in like six years. Then you have. But I bet you they're beating Kansas. <laughs> but you're telling me Kansas, after winning the opener at, at home against South Dakota, they can't beat Baylor at home. Hey, I, I'm not. Um, they can't beat I, Kansas State. Did at you home? see the Pro Football Focus came out with their like top twenty coaches? Mm-hmm. I know they're a uh, they're a real uh, controversial figure in the in these parts. Uh, when it comes to college football, but they had Lance Leopold, I think at like eight or nine. Yeah, boy. And I was shocked by that. They didn't. They didn't have Ryan Day in the top twenty. Which, I just Ryan Day is too early. Like it's I think just, that's that's probably all it is. It's too early, man. He inherited, like he had the best. In like, has there ever been a, a coach that's inherited a better situation than Ryan Day inherited Ohio State? I wouldn't think so. And it's not his fault. Like, he still deserves credit for keeping it moving and not letting it go off the rails. But, like, there is no excuse for him not to be in the playoff every year. Like, they, they just gave it to him on a silver platter. Like, it, it's just – that is what it is. Um, another SEC one. Who would you take more? Vanderbilt at three or South Carolina at three and a half? South Carolina. Oh, you you got to go so South mad. Carolina, right? Obviously, I don't I – don't, I got to pull up their schedule – I'll pull up um, Obviously, Clemson is is a loss on there, and you got Georgia too. But um, I mean, who do they have from the West this year? So from the West, they have Texas A and M and Auburn. So that's that's a tough draw right there at Texas A and M as well. So honestly, I don't think I'm not sure they've beaten Texas A and M since they joined the SEC, since that became their like locked rival. I don't think they've beaten them one time, so I, uh, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not liking South Carolina's chances of going to a bowl game. Mm. But three, but three and a half wins, I, I feel like they're going to be Eastern Illinois, right? They'll beat mm. Troy, hopefully Vanderbilt. That's three wins right there, and then you got East Carolina. Although that's, is that a guaranteed win? There's an easy path for Clark Lee and his gang of three stars that he's recruiting. Um, he's killing in the three-star market right now. Um, I don't know if you've kept up at Vanderbilt recruiting lately, but Lee is – Lee and uh, – what's his name? The guy – Barton Simmons. Putting him work getting those Barton three Barton Simmons. Um, the commish. Exactly. East Tennessee State at home to open. On the road at Colorado State and Steve Adazio. Stanford at home. I love that they're playing Stanford. That should be a thing. The smart schools in their conferences, they should uh, they should play each other all the time. Connecticut at home, who stinks. Uh, they go to South Carolina. That might define if they get four wins. And then Tennessee at the end of the year. I don't know. I have no idea. That game is just, <laughs> I, like, I don't know. I don't know where Tennessee is going to be at at that point. Um, that, I think it's possible. I think there's a there's a pretty, pretty, e- not, I shouldn't say easy, pretty 
doable path for Vanderbilt to go to four and eight this fall. Yeah, I could see that. I'm a big Jack Seals guy too. What about um? What about Florida? Get yeah, Florida at nine. And by Jack Seals, I mean Ken Seals. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, what'd you say? What about Florida at nine? No thanks. No idea. I'm I'm thinking Florida goes over. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't put money on it, but Florida, I have no idea. Like, are we all in on Emory Jones? I mean, I'm not all in on Emory Jones, but I don't know. It's just like looking at their schedule, like they're they're gonna benefit from the East being down yeah. and they play no one at a conference, like other than Florida State. Like they get Bama, obviously though. they do have but they have Bama and then Georgia. So it's like that's you would assume two losses. I mean, at LSU Georgia, is going to be brutal, and LSU. So that's what it comes down to. So they'll most likely be a push. I think I I see a nine and three season coming from Florida, but I wouldn't guarantee a loss to LSU. Like I, I, I no, we we just have no idea what to expect um, from LSU or Florida really this year. Yeah, like you said, it's that's I definitely think that a toss up. Would be spicy. Yeah, and I mean, just to get LSU and Alabama from the West in, in, a, in one season, that's a tough draw for sure. Mm. Well, before we do 2011, or yeah, 2004 rather, uh, Auburn, LSU, any other renders you wanted to talk about before we move on? Um, I th- The last one I got uh, was Cincinnati. What were they at? 10. Mm. Indiana and Notre Dame. Indiana are like the two the, the, the yeah. two big or the two big tests i think on their schedule and obviously the, the aac is a tough conference so they could slip up there but i tend to think they're going 11 and one or or better cincinnati could go undefeated it wouldn't surprise me they definitely could but um, uh yeah let's let's do it 2004 randy cross on the call this is pre pre Gary Danielson, pre-Burn Lundquist on CBS. So I'm glad you said that because I did some research, and that is not actually the case. This was the B team. Oh. Yeah, it's 3.30 CBS kickoff. I'm thinking, where the (laughs) hell is Vern Lundquist? I think it was Todd Blackledge at this time Mm -hmm. with Vern Lundquist before Gary Danielson. Yeah. But, um... Who was the what was the guy's name? Craig Bowler Jack. I was like, who the hell is this guy? No disrespect to Craig Bowler Jack, friend of the pod. But um, I, yeah, I was wondering like what I remember watching this game like three thirty CBS. But uh, Tennessee Florida was that night. I don't, I don't know if you remember that was like a, a great one too. It was the game was that where the one at Tennessee was that Grossman. I think it was at Tennessee. It was just after Grossman. Oh four. Mm. I'm not okay. sure who the quarterback was. Oh, that would have been Chris Leak. Chris okay. Leak is like a sophomore, I think. And it was the game where Dallas, I want to say it was Dallas Baker, some receiver for Florida, got that like personal foul penalty. He like hit the dude in the face or something. And it, it, it got like a personal foul penalty and it like set up some huge like turning point like late in the game. I don't know if it was like a fourth down or something. Like I remember that being like a huge thing, like punching a dude in the face. And then Tennessee hit like a uh, either it was like a walk off field goal with no time left or like a, like five seconds left or something. Will Hoyt was that the yeah. was that for Tennessee number? 25. I think that was his yeah, name. Jason Will Hoyt, I think. 
I think I, I can't remember the first name, but yeah, I think it was like I think he like missed a big kick or something in that game too, like late, and it was like he was kind of the goat for a second, and then he and then he hit the game winner. But yeah, so Vern Lundquist and Todd Blackledge were on that telecast. So I was. Uh, it's funny you said that because that was the that was the first thing I thought when I started watching the game. Interesting. Um, your big takeaways here because I heard defending co-national champions also when this game started. And I was Malarkey! Like, oh, I was so hostile when I heard that. <laughs> the co-national champion. We went to the BCS in 1998. That meant nothing else mattered but the BCS. I, I'm forever salty about this USC claiming the national championship. Like it just going weird going me. for the. Going for the three-peat in the Rose Bowl. It's like they won one championship, okay? They weren't going for a three-peat. But, um, but yeah, the, the big takeaways, I feel like for one, just going, just nostalgic. I miss the uh, these intros, these player intros. Mm. Like, putting up the starting lineup on the screen, and you got, like, the, you know, the class, the juniors and everything. They don't do that anymore. They just put like a list on there. They don't have a picture for everybody. I don't know. I like I like the old starting lineup uh, format they had going. But um, this is just a throwback in every way, man. Like 10 to 9. Like, and it didn't feel like a boring game either. Like, it, this felt like uh, an action-packed game. And it was like 10 to 9. And just going, looking at LSU's coaching staff, like we already kind of alluded to earlier with Kirby, Jimbo Fisher, Muschamp, Derek Dooley, like it was uh it was loaded. What did Randy Cross kept he called it not the West Coast. He was really upset that they were calling Al Borges' offense at Auburn the West Coast. He's like, It's not the West Coast. What did he call oh, it? Oh shoot. What was he calling oh, it? Oh, Gulf Coast office. office. Gulf Coast, yes, that is what he called it. And I was like, he's really proud of this. Um I will say it was just it's such a different game now man i mean this was 17 years ago but like it it was unreal how different it was because you had the first quarter which was basically each team had their own drive like the lsu went all the way down the field auburn went all that down the field they settled for a field goal but like both teams had like 15 plays in their opening drive and then it just never really happened after that but like it was unreal to just see like ronnie brown outside ronnie brown up the middle ronnie brown outside again Ronnie Brown off the left tackle. Ronnie Brown up the middle. Legal block. That's All right, that's here comes one Cadillac. thing. Cadillac. That's one thing I draw. noticed. It felt like kind of watching Georgia with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. Like, mm. like there was there was times where Ronnie Brown just looked way better than Cadillac Williams, but Cadillac just seemed to get the ball more. Like, I don't know. It was it was kind of interesting. It seemed like Ronnie Brown was doing more every time he touched it. I think he averaged like seven and a half yards a carry in this game and Cadillac got the ball, hit 18 carries compared to just nine for Ronnie Brown. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I also, I didn't remember uh, Jamarcus Russell just kind of taking over, and, and he was basically the quarterback from third quarter on in this game. He's been benching the senior, yeah. And they just Randall got- was so much better. He was doing stuff with his legs. He was way more accurate. Russell, dude, he had some balls where I was like, what is he even aiming at? He was like, he had Joe Milton syndrome or like, I don't know how Saban put up with this in 2004. Like, he was just, he was missing guys. It wasn't even close. Like, he was throwing these I dirt. I feel like that was exactly what, like, all LSU quarterback play looked like 
from like 2004 to like 2017 basically well, i mean like jordan you know? jefferson didn't have the arm talent like russell literally could put the ball like if he had like I, I think it was more of like a putting in the work we saw that in the nfl with the raiders but like if that <laughs> dude just put in the work like he had the arm talent just to like throw the ball wherever he wanted he had that bomb to chris davis as his first throw in the first half down the right side but like outside of that he was missing all over the place and like well, and he was also a true freshman here too. So, but this it was is like the, watching the third Bo game of the bit. season. Bo Nix just not. It just wasn't accurate. I think coming in, I think I saw his completion percentage was like forty three percent coming in. <laughs> That's preposterous. I don't think you can even. I, I don't think a team will play you like that anymore. Like you cannot. Like most coaches are looking at sixty five, seventy percent, like minimum. Yeah, it was it was crazy uh, to see another another Saban team lose because of uh, kicking troubles. This is just like the only reason he's lost any games over the last like fifteen years. It's just like a kicker missing a chip shot, or in this game missing an extra point. But also, what what did, do you even know what the call was there at the end of the game when Auburn Auburn missed the extra point? They tied the game like a minute left, and then they had the extra point to go ahead and they missed the extra point and then they called like a personal foul or something on LSU and then they re-kicked it. And I honestly, I thought he missed it again on the re-kick, but it went in. But do you even know what they called? I don't remember now. Like it looked like they were calling, like, I don't know if you remember that Monday night game. Was it Tampa Bay and like the Colts or something? And they called like leaping. Dungy. That was that was they called right. They called leaping. I think. I think that's right. And it's like I don't. I think it just meant like they you kind of jump, propel off somebody. But I think that that may have been what they called. But it was a it was a crazy crazy ending there. Like have a game winning touchdown and the kicker missed the extra point. That would have just been one of the most wild games ever. Especially both teams score one touchdown and both kickers miss the extra point. Like that'd been crazy. But I thought I thought it was a terrible call. I don't know if you remember the fourth and goal. A minute left in the third. Auburn down nine to three. And they go for it on fourth and goal from the two. Like you're in a nine to three game. Take the points. Make it nine six. Like, let's get out of here. Like every yard in this game, it felt like a battle. Like this felt like just like the classic like SEC slug fest. Like this is one of those first. Honestly, this is like one of the first like memorable games I feel like of my lifetime. Like I was like well, I was like 14 years old. Like this was like Florida Tennessee and was like is like the East SEC East version of Auburn LSU to me. Like there was always like one of those early games in the season. It was like the third week. It was like the first like great SEC game of the year and it's just like a just a battle. Like Auburn LSU, I feel like always it's just like a it's just a grimy game. That's true. It was also just like this kind of game just can't exist anymore. Like it can't exist. Like it's impossible to have an SEC game like this now. It might be. But you're going to see like just because people are throwing the ball, it doesn't mean everyone's going to be throwing the ball well, you know? Mm. It's like these teams, it's like everyone's shooting threes in the NBA. It's like not everyone should be shooting threes. Like some teams can shoot well, I mean, the threes just because right now. Uh, I mean, Devin Booker and Chris Paul are the best mid-range shooters in basketball. They're just killing, killing the Bucks in the mid-range. For sure, and it's like if if you just gotta play your game, you know. If you got if you got elite bigs, then you can 
play play on the inside. If if you can't shoot threes, you don't have to shoot threes just because everybody's shooting threes, you know. So I think you're gonna see we're still gonna have some of these ugly ten to nine type games, even if teams are throwing the ball thirty or forty times. Probably just because who knows? They just they're just bad at it. Some some teams are be are gonna be bad at it. Well, it's also just let like so now everything's about pace and playing like getting as many possessions as possible. This game was all about in this era was all about hoarding the ball, all about possession, all about dragging it out, dra- like just wearing LSU down and LSU trying to wear down Auburn because you're throwing out Vincent, you're throwing out Adai, you're throwing out Broussard, and then on Auburn's side you're throwing out Ronnie, you're throwing out Cadillac, you're throwing out even Trey Smith a little bit. Like they, I will say though. There was one guy I wrote down, and I was like, "This poor guy, Mix, dude. If he was huge, and in the slot, he, he had some was good huge. Wrong era for him. If he came out now, if he was at Auburn or at Florida or Georgia in 2021, that dude would be utilized in a completely different way. I feel bad for that guy. I, I was watching him like this poor guy. Wrong era. Wrong era. Yeah, that's kind of true. He was a he's a big body. I, I think he I think they called him a receiver, right? But he kind of looked more Kyle like a Pitts tight thing. end. Yeah, he definitely was built probably similar to Kyle Pitts. But um, I feel like this was the start, I feel like, of LSU just having, like, three or four future running backs on just every roster. Like, Ali Broussard, Joseph Adai, Justin Vincent. Like, they just they were just four deep for just, like, a decade straight. But, yeah, neither team had 200 yards passing in this game. Neither team had 30 passing attempts. But they also like didn't even run the ball that well. It was, it was a it was a wild game. A few turnovers, uh, a couple like just momentum shifting plays. It was a it was a good one. I would agree. Uh, any final thoughts on LSU Auburn two thousand four? Was Jason Campbell about what you remember? Not really, just because I feel like this is still early in the season. I feel like that Auburn had team hadn't hit their stride. Point, though he was that's uh, true, but I think they. I think he played for four different offensive coordinators, though, right? I think that was always something they always said about him. Huh. And so this was, like, the first year that he, I guess he had a good one. Or maybe it was three offensive coordinators, and this was the first year with, like, a second. There was some sort of storyline, I remember, that with his OC. And I felt like early in the year, like, this was just, like, a, you know, just a gutted-out game. But after this, I feel like Auburn started smoking people. Like, they, I remember they had that... They played Tennessee twice, right? I think they just blew them out in the in the regular season, and then I'm not sure if the SEC championship was was closer, but like they just destroyed Georgia this year. Like that that would be my final thoughts. Is if I was an Auburn fan, like as a Georgia fan, I still like think about 2007. I'm just like, man, things happen differently, and Georgia gets in the SEC championship. Like Georgia was the best team in the, in the country that year. Like I wholeheartedly believe that. Like 2004 Auburn, like I know USC was tight that year. You really hate that USC era. Well, it's just we saw what the best teams in the SEC did, right, for like a decade straight. Like from 2006, 2012, like if you're the best team in the SEC, you were the best team in the country. And so like that Auburn team, like there's some years, like even 2005 Georgia, like when like USC and Texas were in the national championship, like I'm not going to argue that. 2005 Georgia with Shockley was better than that team but we don't we don't know you know every other SEC team beat the best teams that that came to them you know so it just we it's unfortunate that we got like the worst national championship game of all time like with Oklahoma USC that year all time can I present to you LSU Bama 
LSU. See, but at least it was a competitive game. That like, game was awful. What was the score? Like 56-19 or something like that? No, I'm like, talking about the Jordan Jefferson LSU Bama. No, I know. I'm talking about USC Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. I think it was like 21-0, right? Yeah, I think it was they like close. Midfield. I love yeah. a national championship game where the other team doesn't cross midfield. Yeah, that was uh, that was domination. That was that was terrible because everyone knew, and we didn't want a rematch, but everyone knew Alabama was better than LSU, right? I just I felt like if Oklahoma State hadn't tripped up, they would have they would have gotten in, but. Clearly, Alabama was the best team since they they shut out LSU in the national championship. But I um I would just still be salty if I was a two thousand if I was an Auburn fan. That two thousand four like that team that team was dominant. That's fair. All right, Matt. Uh, what should we hit next week? Are we now? We're getting really really close to doing our preview series. I think with our conference previews. We gotta. We're pretty close, so that we can hit everybody. Um, do you want to start? Yeah, that I'll next have week? to. I'll have to stack this up. See how many days we uh we need to do. We gotta for, make sure we hit the conferences each one. For sure, you want to do like win totals and everything. I just want to do a. I think I don't want to do win totals. I want to do questions and answers and like predictions and. Oh, uh, we gotta do some win totals, man. Okay. All right. I'm glad I. I'm glad I talked you into it. <laughs> you sold me. All right, Matt Green. Well, we will do 2011 Northern Illinois versus um, Ball State. No. No. Let's 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 head up. Let's do one of these uh these USC teams I've been hating on. Let's uh USC Notre Dame that that great game. The push game. Yeah, the Bush push game or. I don't know USC. What, who, what are some other good games they played in that era? Mm. I'll look I mean, it up. I'll look that into Reggie it. Bush game versus Fresno State. I'll look into it, Matt Green. All right, well, you uh, you get back to me on that. I will. All right, for that guy who we can find on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green, for myself at Chase W underscore Thomas. More to this episode coming after this break, but Matt, thank you as always, and uh, I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right. The Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along where stats by Will, fellow Knoxvillian, fellow UT superfan. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a nice uh, Thursday that I keep thinking is either wednesday or friday but not thursday mm. well i uh i know when it's thursday because my week opens up a lot more on thursdays my monday through wednesdays are just blurs and then sundays i know because uh the whole sunday scary stuff like you know the sunday vibes <laughs> I, i'm always familiar with sunday and then uh the planning and everything and just like oh look what a week what a week and then on tuesdays i'm always like liz lemon and 30 rock where i'm like oh what a week and then someone is around the corner and like it's it's Tuesday, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> See, I used to when I used to work in an office mm-hmm. prior to COVID, I used to get the Sunday scaries a lot worse. And but yeah. now it's kind of weird. Like Monday morning, I'll go for a run, and I'll come back home, and I'm like, well, I got to walk ten feet to my office now. So it, it's it's different. I guess it still hits in a similar way because it's like I still got to do work, but the physical sensation of getting into the car driving to the job and whatnot that's all lost now 
Mm. Do you miss it? Um, yes and no. I, uh, I greatly appreciate that I spend every day now at home with my cat, but, <laughs> what um, is your cat's name? I do. Cedric. Cedric is the official cat of my website. Like Cedric a, Diggory or a different Cedric? Yeah, that's our thought. When we adopted him at, um, Young Williams shelter in Knoxville, which mm. I would like to shout out to Young Williams, a great place. Uh, all of the cats and dogs were named after like Harry Potter side characters, like not even really like Hermione or Harry or whatnot. It was like Cedric, there was Hagrid, there was like a bunch of <laughs> the like kind of B and C tier characters. Some Bellatrixes that weren't getting adopted because the name was too vicious. Yeah, Sirius was one of them. Mm, so, my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of those. So it's a a very nerdy place, but one of those that I appreciate. And it's just like Cedric is kind of a nice little name for him, I suppose. He's, I don't remember much about Cedric Diggory, the character, but uh, Cedric, our cat, is moderately handsome. And I know Robert Pattinson played uh, Cedric Diggory in the movie, right? Oh, so you're not like a big Harry Potter head. Not a huge one. I, I love the books, but the movies I get a little lost on. I'm not as big of a movie guy in that front. The third one, though, is fantastic. The third one still holds up because I saw it last year. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I've i seen them all so many times, but I'm, I've literally, it's funny because I'm rereading the series. I, I reread the series. Uh, I reread Harry Potter and Game of Thrones once a year. Mm. I, I want to, I always like to go back through just in case anyone's like, hey, we need that guy who's just like way too familiar and way just like the the unspeakable trivia with uh, Harry Potter and Game of Thrones stuff. I'm I'm there. Like the girlfriend's dog is <laughs> literally named Khaleesi. Um, my dog that I adopted two years ago that unfortunately passed. That's a whole other just traumatic, awful story uh, that I'd rather not dive into because I don't want to uh, <laughs> malfunction my laptop from the tears flowing out of my face and um but anyway i named her cersei because of her thing so like i have a very strong uh harry potter game of thrones uh per persona about me i guess is the best way of framing it mm, i like it see you, you could be a big hit at those themed uh trivia nights like you mentioned mm. yeah i don't it's amazing trivia still working right like i i would have thought with smartphones that that would be something that would have naturally fizzled away but um it hasn't people i know do it religiously it's still a thing very cool so do you do it do you do trivia uh every now and then mm. i i i'm more of like it's obviously sports is kind of my wheelhouse but the pop like the 2000s pop culture whenever those questions come up mm-hmm. i feel uh so powerful yeah i um i yeah i don't know I, i'm i'm into it um you know what? Uh, before we get into the ACC, which we'll be talking about in this college basketball program, Will, um, did you know that Litton's Knoxville staple that I've been trying to go to since I moved up here uh, for school, that like it's it's it just looks so great, and it's the my kind of place. Like I I want to go, and up here in North Knox, I, I love it, and I could not go last weekend. I had a whole thing the lady and uh couldn't go they they closed for july 4th weekend an amazing thing shout out to them doing good stuff but also very disappointed have you had Littons? i've had it several times is so it good i i will it's it's solid mm. um i've not been since covid hit it was literally 
I, if I'm recalling correctly, literally the last meal I had out before oh. things began. Huh. So it was after it was after Tennessee lost by you know twenty something to Auburn at home to close that basketball season. Man, okay, interesting. Well, that's that's on the list. I uh, what is your favorite Knoxville restaurant? What is your favorite? Who would you like to shout? We did the 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 shelter shout out. What is the restaurant shout out as things <laughs> open back up? Always up for a shelter shout out. I love shelters, yeah. but um, uh, I love Sticky Rice Cafe off of the West Hills exit is very good. Hmm. Uh, Yasin's obviously is a winner. Just you know, Yasin as a person is a winner, but his food is great too. Uh, and Adopo Pizza. Oh yes, I've um, been there. That's freaking fantastic. Mm. I love Adopos. Yeah, Adopos is cool. Um, right down under the bridge. Yeah, no, I, I like Adopos a lot. Um, those are all good. Uh, Savelli's is still my leader in the clubhouse. I think uh, so. that's a. We did that for Valentine's Day one year, and it is a big hit. Wait, how did you do that? I think we tried to do it for Valentine's Day this year, and it was like we called like days in advance, and it was it was booked. Like I don't know how you do that. How did you? How did you finagle six that? Seven, six or seven years ago, and I think we just maybe got the timing right or something. Oh, I, I thought you were about to say you called six or seven years in advance. Like, that would have been amazing. And you're just like, uh, you really were ahead of the game. See, that would rock if getting Savelli's was getting to, into, like, Green Bay Packers season tickets or whatever, <laughs> where you really have to sign up at birth to get in on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, that naturally brings us to some college basketball. Most people like to transition from Savelli's and local Nashville or Nashville, local Knoxville uh, food options to their college basketball. They like to blend the two, so that's what we, we want to do on this podcast. This uh, this Thursday night off season edition. Well, um, the ACC right now. Um, I I don't know how you are, but like I go into every ACC season for college basketball and just hope for nothing but the worst from Virginia basketball. Nothing against Tony Bennett. <laughs> nothing against that program. DeAndre Hunter, Atlanta Hawks legend DeAndre Hunter, went to UVA, starred at UVA. They are just, they are the worst thing to happen to sports television. I can't do it. I hate it so much. They are so <laughs> difficult to watch that, like, I, I very much loathe when they're good. So I actively root against Virginia because of their style, not because of Bennett or anything else. The, they're, the fans are awesome. Who's great? Awesome stuff. But uh, I actively root against them, and uh, I very much enjoy it. And also, it's year whatever, and I still go, where's Maryland? There will never be a year where I am used to looking at Maryland and, like, in ACC previews and just being like, where, where's Maryland? Wait, 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 wait. They left Maryland off. Do you do that? Yeah, I had that literally noted uh, in prep for this show of uh, scanning the ACC teams, making sure I had all my tiers right. And then for a split second, I was like, I think I left Maryland out. And it's, you know, Maryland has been in the Big Ten for, what, seven seasons now or something like that? Like, quite a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the sensation does not really go away. It's like how I still, from time to time, think Nebraska is a Big 12 team. That would be nice. I mean, just go back. It's not really working out in the Big Ten. I think they're getting more money, but uh, yeah, no, like Nebraska being in the Big Ten. I think is that the worst of the the conference realignment. Like, if you look at everywhere and where everybody ended up, is that the one that sticks out the most to you, or is it Rutgers? It's, or I don't know. It's still Rutgers, just because mm. it, that never 
me. Like the, the Nebraska thing, like culturally they are Midwest, like, um, uh, Lincoln is a Midwest cultural town in my head. Yeah. But like, obviously is not Missouri is always going to be a little weird in the sec to me. Texas it's, it's one of, you know, geographically it doesn't make sense to say a and M fits that Missouri doesn't, but that's just kind of how it feels. Um, those would be like the two that stand out to me is like, this doesn't seem, <laughs> this just doesn't seem right. Rutgers in Missouri and an honorable mention to Colorado in the Pac-12. See, that one doesn't bother me. For whatever reason, that one always sounded right. Like, that one is just like, oh, I could see it. Like, they, when I watch those games, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't stand out to me for whatever reason. I don't know why, but Colorado doesn't. Maybe it's just the vibes. The Denver-Colorado vibes. Feels more Pac-12 West Coastian. That's fair. Um, but if we were talking about Maryland, we might be talking about Wiggins not staying in school and disrupting a potential powerhouse starting five for Mr. Turgeron's uh, Maryland Terrapins. That could be the difference between, uh, you know, Maryland really putting together a great Big Ten season and not because they're going to have to come from within. And uh, I don't know. That would have been nice to see him come back because he's going to be like a fringe second round, like for late first, early second, maybe even late second. Um, I don't know. Kind of kind of a bummer that uh, he drew it. He, he really kept it going for a while and gave him some hope and did not elect to come back to school. Yeah, on that front, I am greatly excited to see how, as usual, uh, Mark Turgeon produces like objectively fine results while finding new uh, innovative ways to upset Maryland fans because <laughs> he to be really really good at it. Yeah, but, I, I mean I think that's a strong possibility. Um, but post NBA dra- dra- NBA draft deadline for players, um, how did that affect the ACC as of right now? I think, you know, they, they didn't have, like, a ton of huge stay-or-go decisions there. You know, North Carolina might have had one. There are a few spread it throughout the conference, but it doesn't really change the fact that I think the Big Ten is probably ahead of the ACC. Same with the Big 12. It feels like the ACC and SEC are going to be battling each other to be that third-best conference. Uh, you know, obviously that doesn't necessarily mean a ton in March, as we all know from the routine Big Ten underwhelming performances in March. But uh, I think, you know, at least during the season, you're not going to hear as much about the ACC from, like, uh, the average media members as you will, like, the top Big Ten teams or the top Big 12 teams. Because when I look at this conference, there really is only one roster that stands out to me as a true November 9th or whenever the season starts national title contender, and that's Duke. Uh, I know it's going to be sickening to hear this because we are already staring down the barrel of a 12-month-long Coach K retirement tour that will be played endlessly on ESPN, the ACC Network, and whatnot. But Wait, what makes you say they that? Do have, what makes you think uh, that that is going to be some long, drawn-out goodbye? Um, I don't know what gives you that sense. I will say, did you read the Seth Davis piece on how that all went down and how they landed on Shire and everything that went into it? Yeah. Yeah, really good. Highly encourage it. You can check it out at the Athletic College Basketball. But um, it was a really good piece. And Shire is an easy guy to root for. Like I, I'm never going to root for Duke, but John Shire seems like a, a, a good dude who paid his dues. And uh, I don't know. He's just someone who's just easy to root for. I think. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm fine with him taking over. Uh, I think it, it is just going to be kind of alien, you know. 16 months from now when we get to 2022 23 
there's opening night and then you sit and you think, you know, hey, wait a minute, Duke and North Carolina are not coached by Coach K and Roy Williams. Yeah. It's just going to be weird. It's it hard to weird. think about. And then 10 years from now, Rick Barnes is still roaming the sidelines in all black the walls, and we're just like, what? what's happening here? Did he just get another four-year extension? 15 years from now, Bayheim will still be at Syracuse. <laughs> I, I, he will never retire. There's no chance. Um, I mean, I just, I understand it for a lot of these guys. And the only reason I think Coach K retired and Roy Williams is because of the changing landscape. Not because they don't believe in it, but because they're like, I don't have the, I, I, I can't re. I can't reintegrate myself into this new world. Like it's just, I'm, I'm too old to, to restart this whole process and get acclimated. And then Jim Beheim's like, who cares? Like I'm just losing guys to the G league anyway. Who, who cares? <laughs> yeah. The, the Syracuse thing is going to be fascinating yet again. And, and we'll get to them in a second, but you know, it, it seems like they are just destined every year to be either in the first four or like a 10 seed that somehow gets to the Sweet 16 because coaches cannot figure out a 2-3 zone in March. It, it's really it's so funny to me that they pull this thing off every single year where for four months they kind of do their thing. You know, maybe they'll, they'll beat North Carolina once. Maybe they beat Virginia. But you can also count on them like blowing one to Boston College or something. Yeah. And then March on the selection Sunday, everybody's waiting on pins and needles to see if Syracuse makes it. As usual, they make it in as an 11 seed. As usual, they beat a six. And then the three seed is like a team that just cannot shoot against the zone. It always happens this way. And it's like part of me respects it. Part of me feels like that's somehow a less infuriating rooting experience. And like being a Tennessee fan who's seen them continuously lose short of what of where they should be losing the whole like rooting for a team that sucks during the regular season, but then every single March comes to life. I, I've struggled with wondering if that's preferable to the regular season fun or it somehow makes it even worse. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Um, this is kind of another off tangent thing, but um, did you see this just reminded me um, Keon, like he's the most polarizing uh, prospect in the lottery among gms did you see that report i I could have called that six months ago like they're gonna see the vertical they're gonna see some some bits and pieces and they're gonna be like i have no idea if this is barnes or this is this who this dude is like what what in the world is keon johnson i could have i could have seen this one coming yeah it's all it's just measurables versus tape yeah it it just which side you fall on i think yeah I, I have no idea, but I am going to root for that man. Uh, for, he, he's fun. I wish we got three years of Keon. Keon's the best. Tier-by-tier yeah. um, tier breakdown. So how would you how would you break up the tiers in the ACC? Is it Georgia Tech's league now and we're all just living in it? I'm sorry? Is it Georgia Tech's league and we're all just living in it now? Is this the Josh Pastner world that uh, I, has come upon us? Uh, that- that weird Dennis look he had going on last season was so good. And even though we are kind of making our way out of COVID, I wish he would keep the face shield for like the rest of his tenure. It's, it's just perfect for him. Uh, but the, the way I break these teams up, I cheated a little bit with my tier one. As I mentioned, Duke is the only roster right now that I could can confidently look at and say, that's probably a national title contender on night one. It's not to say that, 
another team or two from this conference couldn't reasonably get there by the end of the year, but they have to have some things go right. So tier one B, which these are these are the teams I consider that if they won the regular season or conference tournament in the ACC, I wouldn't be surprised, and you know it wouldn't really shock anybody. Florida State and North Carolina. Mm. Um, North Carolina is in the transition period with uh, Hubert Davis, of course, but they return a lot of talent from last year's team. Uh, it's a really stacked roster, actually. And Florida State, I think it's just you kind of have this base level with Leonard Hamilton now for about six years where every single year, kind of regardless of what the names on the roster are, you can confidently say Florida State is going to be like one of the 20 to 25 best teams. They're going to be somewhere between like a four and a six seed. And it feels like they're going to make the sweet 16 again. You know, whether they ever end up going further than that, you know, like they did in 2018 is anyone's guess, but the, the like the floor to which Leonard Hamilton has pushed Florida State really is remarkable because that didn't exist for a long time there. And for them to come into a year like this where they, they don't return a lot from last year's team, it's only 39% of their minutes, but they have some key transfers like Caleb Mills from Houston. It, you, you just kind of trust Leonard Hamilton to put it all together like he has many times before. Yeah, I think Florida State's the safest bet. He has just put uh, together a uh, just a great group, and they, there's just so much momentum at Florida State, and they're just going to be a perennial powerhouse. And also, the best-looking old man – I've ever seen in college basketball, right? Like that dude, is he 73? Uh, do I remember that right? Like he is way older than he looks. Potentially the only coach to just have not aged. Yeah. Because I remember him being very similar like 15 years ago. He's 72. He turned 73 on August 4th. He, he doesn't look 73 and he hasn't aged in 15 <laughs> years. It's who did I see who's waiting out the Florida State job? I forgot who it was that I saw um, is waiting that one out before before uh, exploring. I don't remember who it was now. It wasn't Porter Moser. I'm trying to think who I saw. I think Seth Davis was doing these of like where certain guys are going. And he had somebody pegged for the FSU job once it, uh, Leonard Hamilton eventually moved on. But I forgot who it was now. Um hmm. Who do you think, who would you bet on being the worst right now? Who do you think is in the worst shape of any ACC team at the moment? It's a it's a real tie at the bottom uh, in my tier five. Uh, Boston College and Pittsburgh just, BC hmm. changed coaches, so they've got a kind of a built-in excuse. But Pittsburgh's continued, not like, it's not like they're always as bad as they were under Kevin Stallings those two seasons, but this is going to be year four of, capable at uh, Pittsburgh and you know I understand COVID happened I understand that you know teams had to deal with some unusual situations but it's we're entering year four for them and he still has not taught six conference wins which is kind of crazy for a coach that a lot of people figured coming in there was going to be a pretty good hire uh, and, and it, what it really does for me is accentuate just how good Jamie Dixon was there where you know it, it kind of petered out by those final five seasons after they got the one seed, after they blew it to Butler, that one uh, tournament, you know, they, they didn't really get back to that level again. And, you know, it, you, there's natural times for departures to happen. And it is what it is, but I think it says something about it that, you know, since Dixon left, you look at these conference records for Pitt and they're just awful. 
you know, 4 and 14, 0 oh and 18, 3 and 15, 6 and 14, and then the COVID season last year, 6 and 10. That's bad. I mean, that's that's a program with, you know, like a solid decade of serious sustained success from 2002 to 2011. And I know we're, you know, getting years and years away from that, but Pitt should be a lot better than this and they just aren't. They're, yeah, it's just weird. I don't. Did you suspect it to be this much of a problem for him when he took the job? No, because I, I really did think the Stallings thing was just going to be this one-year epic failure, where it was like he managed to, after, and it's still baffling to me that he was generally pretty good at Vandy and then came to Pittsburgh and completely tanked the program in two seasons. Uh, you know, you obviously have to give Capel time to, like, build out of that, you know, you know, get a new program going, come rise from the ashes and whatnot. But what he's done is just not very impressive. I mean, by now, by year four, the roster should just be better than it is. You know, they only return 40% of minutes from a team that went six and 10. They don't have many impact transfers. Uh, I mean, I could be sold that they are the worst roster in the ACC, which is bad for a coach in year four. Uh, like and like I mentioned, Boston College I think is also going to be pretty awful, but they at least have the built-in excuse of they had to go find a new coach. Yeah, it um, it's not great, not great. But I also believe in the AD at BC more than I believe in the AD at Pitt. Pitt's in a lot of trouble on multiple fronts, but I think BC's figuring some stuff out with uh, Jeff Hapley and uh the football mm. program so i think there is there's some room for optimism i think at bc maybe jared dudley just needs to get back in there and do some more some <laughs> more stuff when he retires maybe he can just coach and recruit because i mean does he have a podcast am i misremembering that i think jared dudley has a podcast um early favorites for you for acc player of the year in 2021 2022 uh the obvious pick for me is uh paulo banchero at duke uh He's going to be the runaway best player on the best team in the ACC. It makes him, it's kind of a fairly obvious choice to me. But the, the real thing is like he's a likely top five draft pick, if not top three. He He's going to be the leading scorer, I'm pretty sure. I think he could end up being the leading rebounder, even despite Mark Williams being on that roster. He is just a phenom of a player at 6'9". Uh, they're going to lean on him heavily uh, as the season grows old. Uh, you know, maybe earlier in the year he won't get as many late game touches because you know he's a freshman. It is what it is, and you know you do have some experience turning on that team where it's Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, Mark Williams, guys like that might get the touches early. But by the time March rolls around, I really think Benchero could be like an every night twenty and eight or twenty and nine guy. He he is a serious, serious talent. Um but beyond him, uh Armand I'm gonna screw this name up, so feel free to edit this in post with your own uh cre- cre- I will not because as somebody who mispronounces names all the time, you have to you have to lean <laughs> into it. Armando Bacot Bacot? I don't remember. I didn't watch much UNC last year to be honest, because they weren't fun. But he did take a huge statistical leap for his sophomore year. Way more efficient, third-team All-ACC. Kind of like the main returner on that North Carolina roster that I think is going to be a pretty solid NCAA tournament squad. Uh, If he takes another leap, you know, first-team All-ACC isn't really all that hard to envision. 
Buddy Beheim at Syracuse is 14th season of college basketball. Surely to God he can, you know, finally touch that first team All ACC level. Uh, the the thing with him though is, you know, we we really did see this in its own form in the NCAA tournament. Buddy is that type of guy that could score, you know, 26, 28, 30 on any given night. But at the same time, if he runs into the wrong opponent, you could get like a six spot from him. And it, it he has to just be a more consistent score, a more consistent overall player to help Syracuse kind of stop being that 11 seed every year. Uh, but if, if they're a legit NCAA tournament team, like if they're like an eight, nine seed or better, I really do think he could be a player of the year contender. And then uh, Keve Aluma at Virginia Tech, second team all ACC last year. He'll be the best player on an NCAA tournament team as my voice cracks. And then Caleb Mills, uh, I like this, you know, I don't know if this is really an underdog type necessarily. Uh, he should be the best player on yet another good Florida State team. He transferred from Houston midseason last year. Uh, again, a guy that could be the leading scorer, could be the overall best player, really fits a lot of what Leonard Hamilton likes to do, and I'm excited to see him in a Florida State uniform. Yeah, those are all good choices. I like it. Um which returners for you are the most important and which are the most appetizing newcomers? I think we already have some ideas on the newcomers. I think uh, it might be Duke heavy on that front. <laughs> yes. But, uh, I, I'm, I might just try three different pronunciations because mm. Baker or uh, for North Carolina, one of those will be right. I hope, uh, obviously kind of, he's like the main guy on what I expect to be a very good North Carolina team. Mark Williams at Duke is going to be a huge piece because that is a guy who, you know, things will have to break right in terms of minutes, staying out of foul trouble uh, and whatnot. But you you don't really get a ton of, like, truly great uh, in-the-paint seven-footers in college basketball that can sustain themselves for a full season. Like, he could be a double-double average guy, which does excite me uh, a lot. If he's getting enough minutes, like, that's a guy who – you know, at the end of the season, you look up and he's posting 12 and 10 at night, which are good college basketball numbers. And then Michael DeVoe at Georgia Tech is a little bit under the radar because, you know, Jose Alvarado got the headlines as they made that run to the ACC tournament, got into the NCAA tournament field, you know, Moses Wright as well. But Michael DeVoe was really good down the stretch of that season. He scored 20 uh, in the uh, ACC tournament title victory over Florida State was a key part and kept uh, Georgia Tech in the game against Loyola in the NCAA tournament. He's a great shooter, 41% from three for his career. Uh, stays on the court often. Uh, I think he's going to be a huge piece of a Georgia Tech team that's really going to be wanting to go to back-to-back NCAA tournaments for the first time in a while. Uh, on the newcomer the newcomers front, I think the obvious pick is uh, Banchero at Duke. I mean, he's, he's at, at this point in time, I really do think he's the best player in the ACC. Uh, you know, Duke's got some other good impact freshmen like A.J. Griffin, but uh, Banchero stands kind of head and shoulders above everybody else. Caleb Mills at Florida State, I mentioned. But the third is going to be a familiar name to you and I as Tennessee basketball fans. Uh, Noah Locke, who transferred from Florida to Louisville mm. this offseason. Uh, it's kind of a unique pick, but it's a Louisville team that doesn't 
it, it hasn't quite come together in the way I thought it was going to midway through Chris Mack's first season there, where that they've still they've been fine, they've been you know kind of treading water, but you know like this year they really should have made the NCAA tournament, and they're they're kind of coming into this year for Chris Mack where. I don't know if it's a must-win deal, but it's kind of like a, you know, you've been here for four seasons now. you got to prove something beyond one first-round exit in the NCAA tournament. Locke is going to have to be a big part of that because he is, by all accounts, the best shooter on that roster, 40% from three in his career at Florida. He, he never really kind of came into his own at Florida because he was more of a role player than a true, you know, take-over-the-game guy. But anybody who shoots as well as he does is going to be critical to a team like Louisville that I think is a likely NCAA tournament team. But where they end up in the seating, I really couldn't tell you. You know, it, it seems like for for them to be anything better than like a seven or eight seed, they need a great season start to finish from Locke. And I really want to see if he's able to provide that as a guy who's still, you know, sort of like a – not like a star, but a really key critical role player who can come in and provide good defensive minutes as well. There you go. I like it. I like it. Uh, last thing, as we wrap up the ACC, um, how many NCAA tournament teams can we expect the ACC to produce next year? This is a, a fun one because, you know, the ACC has only put in, and I say only because they have 15 teams, uh, only put in seven teams the last two NCAA tournaments. They put in nine in 2017 and 2018. Uh, and, you know, there's kind of that period of time where people thought, oh, this is going to be the conference that puts like 10 or even 11 in one day. And it hasn't happened. It just hasn't come to fruition because that lower third and even middle pack of the conference is just not held up their end of the deal. Um, uh, I would lean towards eight right now. I think Duke is an obvious pick, as are Florida State and UNC. There are four teams that I think are relatively likely teams that, you know, if an injury happens or things just don't gel together as they hope, you know, this could go a different way for them. Virginia Tech, Louisville, Notre Dame, and Virginia. So that gets you to seven. The eighth team is very interesting because I think there are four in my tier three that could be NCAA tournament teams, but statistically I would only lean towards one of them getting in. Any of Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Clemson, or NC State could get in. And among those four teams, there are some fascinating narratives there, particularly the NC State thing really interests me because I think everyone thought Kevin Keats was going to turn that program around uh, in a better fashion than than what has happened so far. Uh, Clemson, Brad Brownell, seems like he's on the hot seat every single season. Georgia Tech, the Pastner thing. Can you keep it going? I hope so. Uh, man. I've had him on this podcast. I talk with Pastner. He's he's a cool dude. He's easy to root for. I he love Josh Pastner. Like, he seems like such a nice guy. He's it's, a, it's I hard. can confirm as a coach that I know, he is a nice guy. Yeah. So I, I like him and I'm rooting for them to sustain that success a little bit because, I mean, one of the first, you know, this is more of a side note, but one of the first teams I really remember loving as a college basketball fan was the Georgia Tech national title, oh. the national title game. Can I tell you a I story love- about that? Yeah, I want to hear it. Okay, so that March Madness or that Final Four was happening on my 13th birthday weekend. I'm going to date myself here. Um, and I went to New York 
for my birthday, my family. And I remember going into like all my memories. I don't know if you're like this, Will, but because I'm a, uh, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a weirdo. Uh, everything I relate to sports. Like my grandmother, who I love very much, uh, associates everything in life with what people are wearing. She can remember what she was wearing in 1983. Like that's how she remember an event based on what she's wearing and stuff like that. For me, mm-hmm. I associate things in my life with what sports were going on at that time. So I remember distinctly like being at a bar uh, with my family in when I was 13 on my 13th birthday party and like leaving and the table and just going up and uh, watching UConn versus tech. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to go watch Marvin Lewis and Luke Schneider. What was it? Schneider? Schnorder, what was his last name? The big dude, number 12. <laughs> Uh, Schneschinger? What was his name? Luke Schencher? Something, Is that what it was? Yeah, that. it was something close to that, I remember. Then you have Marvin Lewis, Jarrett Jack, BJ Elder, I want to say, was in that group. Will Bynum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people. You want to call yourself sports renaissance men and women? No. that's I've locked that up. <laughs> Who can pull that out without looking? That That's what I'm bringing you. Ben Gordon and Mecca Okafor? Who could forget that matchup? Not this guy. Not this guy. I want to say Charlie Villanueva was also on that team. Could be wrong on that one. I'm not. Don't hold me to it. Um, but yeah, I, I remember like literally watching that whole game and just being really bummed that Tech uh, did not win. As my grandfather went to Tech, and a lot of my family on that side is uh, Tech fans. So I was rooting for him, and it's uh, sad. And as someone who's been to a a hefty amount of Georgia Tech baseball games in my life, um, it was it was sad that you got won that game. But I remember it very distinctly. Hmm. See, I love that team because they just kept they, – they played in, like – I just went on Ken Palm to remember, make sure I was remembering correctly. Every single tournament game they played in was, like, a nail-biter, start mm. to finish. Like, they never pull away from a team. Uh, like, I, I'm looking at it now. The, of the five games they had, uh, every single one was within two possessions at the end of regulation. Like, the Kansas game went to overtime, of course. But it, they, they just kept finding ways to win these games where you thought they never could. And I just, I was in love with it. And obviously I was rooting for them against UConn. I never liked Jim Calhoun when I was little. So, and, and it, it was just like, they they were the team of underdogs to me. So I loved them, but that's, that's so funny that you could remember like being at that bar and watching it. I wish I could remember, uh, things like that from you know 2004 being no 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 no. don't wish that upon yourself don't like the amount of useless sports drivel that is just just filled my head like i have no room i tell people all the time like don't have any room they're like you have selective hearing no no i just can tell you about jay cutler's 2013 season in chicago that's what i'm telling you is i don't have the room i don't have the room to tell you about mike martz's offense i don't have the room to remember the other things the normal things that people remember i remember um where i was when i found out about the uh the uh what was his name robinson um number 41 like that whole story why he wasn't playing in the super bowl that week like i remember going through the manual and being like where is he and uh people deferring why mr robinson was not playing in uh, the broncos super bowl <laughs> do you remember that story uh, it was a, I was a little young for it, but I I read about it, you know, way after the fact. Eugene and Robinson, idea... that was it. I always want to say Eli, but it's Eugene Robinson. It, it, was, it was just because Eugene's a weird football guy name. But Eugene Robinson, yeah, that was like a whole thing. Because I remember in the manual being like, where is where is Eugene? 
Why is uh why is he not on the field? Where where is Eugene Robinson? The the idea of you so you would have been like eight, right? Yes. Seven or eight. Seven, I believe. So the idea of going around and asking every adult where <laughs> the player was who got caught for what he got caught for. Oh man, I wish I could have just I would have loved to like heard the gears turning in their head of like how to possibly explain that away. <laughs> Exactly. It was amazing. But that's that's what I associate, um, that Super Bowl. And I remember also where I was when Vic split two Vikings defenders when he ran in, uh, scored in overtime and ended the, the Vikings game on a walk-off. Like, I remember being at a nasty uh, sports bar on after church on a Sunday. Remember watching it and being like, oh my goodness, what just happened? Yeah, remember that too. It's every, like I can, it's just weird. My entire life is just built around sports memories, I guess. <laughs> my poor girlfriend um but but yeah all right well that is all i've got will um where are we gonna go next week big 12 pack 12 where would you where would you like to hit up big east uh i'm gonna i want to get the big 10 out of the way mm. uh my dad is a michigan graduate and mm. i don't know if i can wait until march to feel his disappointment again so i'm just gonna <laughs> generate it for july mm. There you go. Okay. I like it. Penn State got a new coach in there. Um, people are optimistic there, but I'm like, have y'all watched Penn State basketball? Doesn't seem like that's a winnable situation. There's some college basketball. There. I'm just like, in college football, we see this a lot more where they're like, oh, I like that sexy name. He was good at uh, insert group of five job here. And I'm like, great. Um, that no one's going to win there. Like it's, it's almost impossible to win yeah. there. Um, bad luck on his part. Will, what can we check out from you across the internet this week? How do people keep up to date on young Kim Pom. <laughs> I'm so honored by that. Um, you can go to statsbywill.com. That's where I post all of my stuff. I've got some uh, NCAA-wide analysis on what determines uh, who wins close games, like games decided by six or less. I've got some stuff coming out on that in the coming weeks, as well as some research on uh, what the best teams in college basketball are doing differently than everyone else, if they are doing anything differently. So I've got that coming out. Uh, I know as we get closer to the season, I'll be sharing some more conference level thoughts on the site like we do in this podcast. But yeah, statsbywill.com is the best place to go. Uh, or you can go to that same handle on Twitter. It's the guy with a cover photo of the cat named Cedric. So pretty easy to find, I would say. There you go. Go check out his work. It's great. And uh, we'll be here every Thursday evening on this podcast. You'll hear it on Fridays. But, uh, Will, thank you as always, my friend. And uh, we will talk next week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.